listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Please take your Bible, open up with me to the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. And today we are coming to the bookend of this entire masterpiece, this this piece of poetry that Solomon has written. It's been 12 weeks and we're, it's always bittersweet for me when we're wrapping up, in a, wrapping up a series. I, I've loved every minute of this book, but back in chapter one, we had the prologue where if you remember, if you were with us back then, we had a definition of what vanity was. And we've seen over and over and over again that life under the sun is empty. The things in life that you think will make you happy will not fulfill you. But that's not Solomon's only point in the book. For for as many times as he's said, you know, that life is vanity, it's all emptiness, For as many times as he said that, he has also had another point. It's almost paradoxical, but he's let us know that God still wants you to find enjoyment through the people and the experiences that are in your life. This is how we've talked about it. The things that you think will make you happy will leave you empty, but those same things are given by God and he wants you to find joy through them. So the subject of this book has been purpose. In the tone, you could very much say has been gritty, realistic. But as time has gone on throughout this book, we have seen one of the darker books of the Bible become more and more hopeful and joyful. So I'm calling the message today, The End of the Matter. And in grand fashion, Solomon is going to be putting a bow on his wisdom literature We're going to get to the epilogue today, but like any powerful piece of poetry, Solomon is going to tie up all the loose ends with one final emphatic charge. Would you begin with me by looking at the first verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw nigh, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, I do think it's amazing that today is our Youth Sunday, right? And not only is it our Youth Sunday up here on the stage, but we have our elementary class that are in with us. And if you're wondering, that was done by design. That was intentional. Like, I wanted all of the kids to be here today as we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. But as we're As we're covering this conclusion of Solomon, um, I want to point out to you that this term youth here in the first verse has a very broad meaning. meaning. And I mean, if I asked every one of you out here, show of hands, like how many of you would you consider yourself a youth? Uh, You don't have to do that, but okay, you're doing it. You're doing it. I think some of you, we, we should have more. More of you that still say, yeah, I'm youthful. I mean, it's, it's uh, all right, yep, yep. It's, it's, really, it's really up to you, right, whether or not you feel like a youth or not. Um, we, we don't have any definite hard 
definition on, all right, you're no longer a youth. I would say a lot of our church is, is youthful. But this is a term here, if you look at it even scripturally, has always been pretty broad. I mean, when Paul told Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, he was at the youngest, probably 35, might have even been even up to his mid-40s when Paul said that to him. So I know, you know, being a youth makes us feel, feel good. But what I'm saying here is Solomon is writing this at the end of his life. This isn't just directed to the kids or the teenagers in the room. Like Solomon now is at the very final stages of his life. And he has looked back on all the experiences that he's had. He's, he's reminiscing on all of the experiments he's made with his wisdom, with his money, with trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction. And for those of us who've been following along in this entire series, he has been saying a handful of times that I am looking back on my life now. So this charge to the youth is really to anyone who's not in the very later stages of their life. Chapter, in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he gives us a very clear taste of what I'm talking about. Just to review, it says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So remember, this is a man who at the very end of his life now, he's talking to us, those of us who are not in the, sun, you know, the sunset period of our life, which is pretty much everyone in the room right now. And he is saying, look, I had it all. I was rich, famous, the most powerful person in the world. And I mean, we could name off celebrities right now. And I've seen people try to do this where they'll name off like two or three celebrities and be like, you know, the most rich person, the most famous person, the funniest person. Uh, and they try to roll them all into one and say, that's what Solomon was like. And every single time I see people do that, it always ages poorly. It always does. Because like five years later, you're like, oh, that, that celebrity is like, not cool anymore. <laughs> like they're not as popular as they were. And so it always ages poorly and it always looks bad over time. But if you could just think of the most powerful, famous people that you could think of in your life right now, and just, I'll tell you, in 10 years, they're going to look like a C-list actor from some show that you used to watch on cable, like that you've forgotten their name. Like compared to Solomon, this guy was the wisest, most powerful, richest man probably in the history of the world. And he's experienced it all. He's tried it all. And he is now telling us the end of the matter. He had the ability to go live for parties, to live for humor, to live for entertainment, for self-indulgence. He tried it all, and he could never find satisfaction, fulfillment in any of those things. And that's why he said everything under the sun is vanity. It's empty. It's like this, this vapor, this, this puff of smoke where I can see it, it's real. I want to reach out and grab it, but my hand just goes right through it because it evaporates faster than it even formed. So this is very key. This is his final charge, and this is how he starts it. 
Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw nigh of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So this word remember is a crucial word to understand. It's not just remember to put the food away before you go to bed. It's nothing like remembering all your vocab words, so cram those in in that you know, two-minute run-through before the test. He isn't saying, hey, while you're living your life, just remember that there is a God and that he exists. There's way too, more to this phrase than that. The Amplified Bible actually says it this way. Remember thoughtfully also your creator in the days of your youth for which you are not your own, but his. And the reason why the Amplified Bible says it that way is because the original Hebrew word there for remember is zakar. And it literally means to mark as to recognize. So the phraseology here, to remember, means to drop every sense of self-sufficiency and to cast yourself unreservedly on God as your creator and your sustainer. This is heavy. This is deep. This is very, this packs a punch. And there's an example of this exact idea, uh, this, this Hebrew word from another passage of scripture in the Old Testament that uses the same word. And it's the same kind of passionate, intense loyalty that the psalmist felt towards his homeland, Jerusalem, in Psalm 137. So I want to read that to you for just a second so you can get another example of what this word means. Now, this was written during the period of the exile, when, when the Jews were pushed away from the promised land, the, the, the land that God had given them, and they were exiled out of that. But this is what he said. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept and we hung our harps on the willow trees because after all, how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And then speaking of the passionate commitment towards his homeland, his home city of Jerusalem, the psalmist says, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Do you see what he said there? He's explaining the nature of remember, this, this heavy word, remember, by the phrase which follows it. What would it mean if I did not remember you? He says, to know you as my highest joy. So remember your creator. Know God as your highest joy in the days of your youth before you get too old to do anything with your life. Know him, love him, serve him as your highest joy. That is the call. That's the exhortation that we begin the final chapter of Ecclesiastes with. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, verse 2, and the clouds return after the rain. And now Solomon, once again, is stepping into his poetic mode. And, and if you like riddles, the next seven verses are for you, okay? This is very rich uh, poetry that he's, that he's stepping into. It's something that makes his reading so fascinating. But he's telling you where we're going. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Know God as your highest joy and start early. Start it before it's too late. And the mental picture he's giving us here in verse 2 is, is of death. Look at that again. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. 
There's something grand and regal about saying it this way. So much more dignified than just saying, before you kick the bucket, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm thankful Solomon wasn't just, you know, a redneck cowboy. Uh, this, is, this is King Solomon, and, and this is the way he's pointing it out to us. Remember you're created in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And this is where we're going to get our first point today. From dust to dust, verses 2 through 8. In these verses, he's actually describing getting old. And I think it's very interesting that Solomon spends a lot of time on this point about you aging. You're not going to be a youth forever. You're not going to always be as young as you are right now. We're all going to get old one day. And he really draws this out to where he's forcing us to slow down and contemplate the fragility of life and the brevity of life. So when he's saying beware of allowing, you know, what, what he's really saying is beware of allowing the best years of your life to pass while you're waiting for them to begin. That's, that's, that's the message he's sending to all the youth in the room, including me. Now, kids, you're still peaking. You know, you're growing every single day. You're blossoming into the prime of your life. And, and who really knows when the prime of your life is, right? Like, maybe it's 18. For a lot of people, that's, that's probably true. For some people, maybe the, the absolute peak of your physical life is the day after you get married. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't stay that way. Like, hopefully, you don't just let go of yourself after, after you get married. That would communicate a very bad thing to person you've given your life to, right? But we know that our, our bodies, our physical bodies blossom and they peak and then they, and then they slowly start wilting away. And, and for everyone who's trying to figure out when, when, do I, when do I peak, well, you know, I was born in 1984, so I, I'm going to tell you the answer is the age of 39. That's the absolute peak, peak <laughs> right there. And I'm totally kidding because I very much feel my body like not as spry as it used to be. You know, I, I'm on that, that dad diet, that dad regimen. I'm not like as strong as I used to be. I'm not as fast as I used to be. And, and if you're a dad and you're trying to keep up with a whole bunch of kids, that, that'll keep you in shape. It'll keep you in good enough shape for sure. But think through this. Your body at some point is going to blossom into its peak state and eventually, it's going to change. You're going to get older and older. Even the young ones in the room, we have to remember that. So I want to say, I mean, none of us here are probably on the TB12 diet. Um, and that's not really the point of what we're talking about. We're all going to age, though. And yes, Solomon wants you to consider it's going to happen to you. So we're not going to rush past this. And as he gets creative with it, I think it's only proper that we show it the respect it deserves. And we're going to go through the analogies one at a time. And I hope you're up to playing this game with me because Solomon is going to give us an analogy uh, and we have to figure out what he means. So, so are you ready to do this? He's the Riddler. You're Batman and you got to figure it out. And if you want to use your sidekick next to you and ask Robin to give you a hint here on what he actually means... Be my guest. Let's go for it. But here's the first one. Look at verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. 
Okay, what is he talking about? The keepers of the house tremble. That means when your hands get shaky, when you're older. And if you didn't get that one, don't worry. We got a lot more coming. Here we go. Here's the next one. And strong men are bent. Strong men are bent. This is talking about as you age, especially if you're not careful with your posture, what's, what happens? Just kind of get that hunched back, right? Like you're not always going to stay standing straight and tall. Like you're going to, your, your entire posture is going to corrode over time. The grinders cease. This is the next one. Ooh, what is that talking about? Yeah. Losing your teeth. All right. As you age. And this is getting, I know, you stick with this. This is going to get a little dark here. There's a lot coming. The windows are dimmed. This is the next one. What do you think he means by windows are dimmed? Losing your vision, right? Your eyesight is not going to be as strong as it once was. The doors of the street are shut. Anybody on that one? This is like, you can't, okay, the doors of the street are shut. Like, you can't go out and about, right? Like, your mobility is going to be limited. You're not able to get around and go to the places you, you used to be able to get around and go to. We have the next one. Um, the sound of grinding is low. And those of you who are thinking this is the guy who wrote Song of Solomon, right? Well, it's not what you're thinking. It's coming later. We're going to move on through that one. But uh, that really is connected to the doors of the street being shut. Uh, rising at the sound of birds. What is that talking about? You don't, you don't sleep as much, right? You wake up earlier. The daughter's song brought low. This is talking about hearing loss. I'm going a little fast for you. How, how are y'all doing on this? Are y'all getting some of these? Anybody? Yeah, we've got a few people playing along. What about the almond tree blossoms? What could that mean? What does an almond tree look like? What does it look like when it blossoms? Anybody remember? Gets white. Yeah, little beautiful white flowers on that almond tree. So your hair is turning gray or white as you get older. The grasshopper drags itself along and the desire fails. I'll let all the adults in the room figure that one out. Um, Solomon is no stranger to innuendos. And uh, that's a good one. All right. Afraid of what is high. Afraid of what is high. You're not as adventuresome as you used to be. You're not ready to, you know, just scale the mountain and go after it and jump off into the, into the blue. Mourners about the streets. This one's kind of sad, but it's also realistic. Mourners about the streets. What does that have to do with aging? The older you get, the more pessimistic you can get. You're tempted to get, right? It happens to a lot of people. So back in my day, we didn't do it this way. You're, you're, you're mournful of, of how things used to be so great. It's been going on since the days of Solomon. The silver cord is snapped. Your bones get brittle. Look at, look at verse 6. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. 
and dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So we have here an amazing string of poetry that describes the process that is happening to every single one of us. We're going to be here one day when we get old. And it only takes a very small shift in the tiny mechanisms of your physical body for the cord to sever, for the bowl to shatter, for the pitcher to fall into the spring and to be rendered useless. Like, our bodies are fragile. And we have limited time here with, with, a, with a peak physical body. So he's eloquently, eloquently describing the, the transience of the most basic things that we do, reminding us that there's going to be a last time for every single journey, the last time for every routine task that we take for granted now. So here's the message. Remember your creator. Love him to the fullest. Love him to the utmost. Know him. Be about God and his plan for you. Glorify him while you have the opportunity. Not just in a perfunctory, like mental way, but in a way that gives up my self-dependence and trusts only in God. For the days of trouble will come. So it's better to remember that now than in allowing the best years of your life to pass while you're just waiting for them to begin. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And for all of the youth in the room, especially, you can do more than you think. I mean, we just saw some, some youth up here on the stage today, worshiping God, leading us in worship. That was beautiful to see the girls and their faces, and the passion they had singing to their savior. And, and the prayers and the scripture reading, like it was amazing. So young people, you can be a leader right now. If there's someone in this room who is younger than you, guess what? They're looking up to you. And you can be a leader in the youth group. You can be a leader at school. That goes for the youth. It goes for the teenagers. It goes for the college age students. It goes for the the, the adults, the single adults. It goes for the people who maybe your kids are, you know, almost out of the home. You can still remember your creator in the days of your youth because thankfully, you know, your teeth aren't falling out and you can still hear, right? <laughs> you still have some passion and desire left. So you can do things with your life that other people can't do. You can do things that your parents can't do. You can do things that, you know, you won't be able to do forever right now. And verse 7, when he says, the dust returns to the earth, this is a callback to Genesis 3.19, from dust to dust. You remember Genesis 3.19? This, this is the passage of scripture where Adam and Eve fell into sin. And God has explained to Adam and Eve the curse of sin. And in verse 19, they are told, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And in the greater context here, we are seeing from the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis that you have an eternal soul that will live forever, 
but you only have one physical body that is made from the dust of the earth. And one day you will die. And we don't talk about death enough in our culture. We just don't. We try to ignore it and block it out. It's been taken, like, you know, the parents dying used to be in every single Disney movie. It's completely erased. That We never talk about that anymore, right? You know, we don't, like, see cemeteries in the, in the small communities that we live in anymore. That's a, it's a picture right there at church of exactly what happens. We have a, a lifespan, and one day we will return to the, to the dirt. That's true. But you have one physical body, and then you were to take care of that body. But one day, when you do die, your soul will live on. And depending on your life under the sun, whether or not you accepted or rejected Jesus Christ, you will either live with God for eternity, with a resurrected body, or you will live in separation from God, in eternal judgment. And that is the truth. That is a very sobering reality. But under the sun, this is what will happen to all of us. We can't live in denial about this. We have to accept this reality and we have to allow it to motivate us to do something with the precious moments that we do have with our life, our present life. So that's exactly what Solomon goes into in his next point. Point number two is to be something more than a memory. Look at the next two verses with me. Verse 9 and 10. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Do you see this? I just love, I just love seeing what Solomon is saying here. This is the core of what every single one of us made in God's image truly desire deep down, whether or not you realize it or not. This is peak living. It's not living it up and having a good time for yourself. Just ask Solomon or the late Matthew Perry or any famous person, is that fulfilling? He's saying there's something more to life than just living it and finding enjoyment. It's to live your life and to do things in your life that make a lasting impact that, will, that you can hand down, things that will change people after you're gone. He taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The greatest accomplishment of life is leaving something that will last longer than you. Think about that. Besides being wise, he taught people wisdom. He handed it down. And this is the same guy who wrote Proverbs. Don't forget that. But he wrote, he wrote words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And we are still learning wisdom. I mean, everything that we're experiencing in 2023, Solomon has described it all in these 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. From the catalog of loneliness to foolishness to the real true meaning of life, it's all in here. 
None of it changes. There's nothing new under the sun. We still say that phrase. He's the first person to say it. Solomon was very much a flawed man, but we can still learn insight from him. He made a lasting impact beyond his years. And there's a lot of people who have lived their lives. They've had a good life. They've had fun. They've laughed a lot. They've left some memories to the people that they were closest to. But once they're gone, and those people that they had those memories with are gone, it's over. I remember one time back when I was a youth pastor in Kansas, and there were a bunch of boys in that youth group who didn't really have a dad in their life. And so I would always like do my very best to spend time with those guys. And I, I always, at any given month, I had like two or three guys that I would make sure I picked up after school, went, got a burger, you know, just, just hung out and talked with them and, and shared, shared Christ. I, I tried to pick the guys who actually had a desire to know Jesus better and, and to invest in them in that way. And there was one boy whose dad passed away when he was, I think, eight years old. Um, his dad did not take care of his physical body and drank himself to death. Um, and I was talking to him one day, and he just, he, he told me, the only real memory I have of my dad was sitting down and watching the Chiefs play football on Sunday afternoons. And I love watching the Chiefs play because that's my one memory I have with my dad. And I was, that was really, you know, it was a really great thing to hear. I mean, it was, a, it was a powerful moment. It was touching. But, and I, and I mean, I'm glad he has that memory of his dad, of course, right? But at the same time, that's kind of sad. The only memory he really has of his dad was just watching a Chiefs football game on Sunday afternoon. Like, I want to leave more than just those kind of memories with my kids. Yes, those kind of memories, those can be great. But passing down truth, showing them what life is really all about, teaching that, teaching wisdom to the next generation, that's what I want to leave with my kids. I think that's what we all want to do. We want to make a lasting impact. We want to influence people so strongly for Jesus Christ that they love Jesus Christ more and then they love others more. And they pass that on to their kids and to their grandkids. Now, this is where we come to verse 11. We're talking about passing down words of truth, right? And we talked about verse 11 all the way back. For those of you who remember, uh, chapter one of this book, I gave you a little, a little sneak peek at the very end because this is the Jesus moment of the entire book. This is the one time we can clearly, clearly see Jesus Christ. Um, I talked about the uniqueness of this verse. In the direct context, he's saying the words of the wise are like goads. You're probably thinking, what are goads? We don't really use those. Okay, goads are sharp, prodding tools that help cattle move in the right direction. That makes sense. That's what a word of the wise is. And he's talking about leaving behind words of truth. So you can see Solomon's original thought. But just like so many messianic appearances in the Old Testament, 
This is a little out of place. Look at, look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. I believe this is one of those places in scripture where the author who is carried along by the Holy Spirit is making a point. And you can see what point he is, he is thinking through as he makes it. But there's a deeper point about Jesus being made and he doesn't even realize it yet. And it's when you are a New Testament believer who has the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, reading, this, reading the word of God years later, that just look at this and say, this is too incredible to not mean more, to not mean something more. Like nails firmly fixed by one shepherd. Solomon is making this analogy about passing down truth with your life, making a lasting impact. But more than a memory, pass on truth like a shepherd hammering in nails. Okay, point taken, Solomon. Our Messiah has come. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the good shepherd who had nails fixed into his hands and feet. So we know what to pass on, right? It's right there. Pass on Jesus. Pass on the truth of what Jesus did for you in your life. I mean, you could make the case, well, yeah, he didn't, know, he didn't know what he was talking about fully there. Like, yeah, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. He's making one point about passing on truth, but I can't help but see Jesus right here. And if you really want to make the case that Jesus is not in this at all, fine, you can go ahead and be that person. But I see, I see Jesus Christ right here as we're passing down truth. So you want to make a difference? You want to make your life more than just a memory? Do you want your children's children's lives to be better and fuller and richer? Well, then pass on the truth of Jesus. It's that simple. And this is his final point. It's in verse 13. Look at it with me. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Point three today is fear God and keep his commandments. And this is how this entire book ends. Some of you know this is the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the whole duty of man? It's the first question because it's the foundational purpose. Remember the key theme of Ecclesiastes? The purpose for your entire life. This book isn't about vanity. Vanity plays into it. Life under the sun is empty. Yes, of course, we understand that. But don't forget that this book is about your purpose in life. Your purpose isn't to have fun or to be rich or to be famous. Those things will fade and they will never satisfy. And that's not what Solomon wants you to remember him by. Your purpose is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We read from 1 Corinthians 10.31 in the scripture reading today. And whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this is the theme that has been woven in and out of this entire trek through the mountains and through the valleys of Ecclesiastes. I've pointed it out to you every single time, and there's been four specific times. I'll read them again. This, this theme of fearing God, 
Ecclesiastes 3, 14. He said, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That's Ecclesiastes 3.14. Next, we heard in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. And then we heard it again, Ecclesiastes 7, two chapters later. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this and from that you would not withhold your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Then in Ecclesiastes 8.12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I, know that it be, it will, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Worship team, you can come up right here. The end of the matter, all has been heard. There's nothing else left to say. You want fulfillment and satisfaction? You want to find your purpose in life? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is why you and I were created. It's to bring him glory. When we fear God, we are honoring him as holy. We respect who he is. We remember what he has done for us. We love him the most. We seek him first and foremost. Don't go your own way. You're going to answer to God for how you live your life. That's what verse 14 says. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You're not going to get away with anything because God sees your heart. He knows your motivations, and you will answer to him. This present life under the sun, yes, it's vanity. Yes, it's empty in the sense that you're not going to be able to just find ultimate satisfaction through it. But it absolutely matters. God absolutely wants you to find joy in this life right now. As you find joy in, in serving others and loving others and living for God, your life will be blessed. You will find peace. You will find joy that you cannot get in anything else. And what you do down here in this present life under the sun matters for eternity. So what do you need to do with this wisdom? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? About the purpose of your life. I really want you to just think about that for a minute as we close this message in this series, this amazing book. What do you need to do differently? What do you need to change about your outlook on life? Because the daily decisions, the little, the little decisions that you make every single day, they add up, they matter, right? When you're young, you're setting a pattern for your life right now. You're setting habits. You're developing who you're going to be. You can also do more than you think right now, as we've discussed earlier. But 
Are you living your life for God's glory, ultimately? Are you fearing God and keeping his commandments? Are you, are you in obedience? Are you walking into obedience to the plan that he has for you? I was listening to uh, the, the apologist William Craig Lane the other day, and he was being interviewed. And, they were, and, and the person asked him about the, the biblical sexual ethic. Because a lot of times when we think about our life in obedience to him, like this is the number one thing there. This is one of the number one things where people get tripped up on, right? And he actually just pointed out, do you realize what our world would be like? Imagine what our world would be like if everyone just obeyed what God said to do with your physical body in a sexual sense. Just think about that. What would the world be like if everyone followed God's rule? God's rule that is set up there to protect you, right? Well, I mean, if, if, if one man married one woman for life, we would have no pornography, we would have no divorce, we would have no sexual abuse. I mean, think about all, just think about that. If we just simply obeyed how God told you to live your life, how much more beautiful and how much less pain our world would be filled with. We can't change what everyone else is doing. And you can't, you can't do that, right? But you can listen to Solomon and you can fear God and keep his commandments. And you can live your life wisely making choices that will bring glory to God and you can thrive and you can enjoy life way more than everyone else who is living their life for themselves, doing it their way. Fear God and keep his commandments. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. From dust to dust, to be something more than a memory, fear God and keep his commandments. Would you stand with me? about the topic of this sermon or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.